Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, church. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing great. Fabulous. I'm going to slide to the middle so it feels like I'm in the middle. But if you can stand with me, why don't you shake your neighbor's hand real quick, smile at them. Tell them they look better than you. I'm sorry, my wife looks better than every one of y'all. Um, just want to throw that out. Start, that, start, start this morning on the right track, you know. Please grab your Bibles if you do have them. We're going to jump right into it this morning. I'm running a little bit behind, but if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And while you're turning there, I will take this moment, as, as I always do, and give honor to our pastor and first lady for this opportunity to teach this morning. I do not take it lightly. And this is a rare occasion this morning. I have no doubt 20 pages of notes that I will probably not get through. But we're going to go as far as the Lord wants to go. Amen? So Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon Jesus, they pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down, and this multitude that was pressing him, he taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, immediately he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship. Remember, there were two ships there. They were in the other ship that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so much so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. They were the ones in that other ship. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And last verse, And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Amen. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? God, I thank you for such a beautiful day. God, thank you for what you're going to do, God, in this house today. Lord, I believe amazing things are going to take place. But first, God, would you prepare the soil of our hearts 
God, let it be as good ground, Lord, that, that can take the seed of the word. Would you challenge us, God? Help us to grow today. And if that is your prayer this morning, would you clap your hands unto the Lord and say, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be, you may be seated. And so the title of my lesson this morning, as we're in this series talking about following the Lord, my, my title this morning is The Characteristics of a Disciple. The Characteristics of a Disciple. And I've got four simple points I want to make this morning, four characteristics of a disciple that we can glean from this story. And if you look at this story and all the other times Jesus calls his disciples those 12 disciples that we know of, he calls them to follow them. You'll find these characteristics pretty much in every story. And so one of the first things that leads someone to becoming what I would call a true disciple of the Lord is the very first thing we see in Luke that we read, chapter 5, verse 1. It says that a crowd, a crowd had developed around Jesus. They were eager for one thing, and that was they wanted to hear from God. How many have ever woken up on a Sunday, and you're like, God, this day I need to hear from you? And it don't matter, you could have the worst Sunday morning. Your children can act, act a fool, you're, you could argue with your spouse, but you got to get to the house of the Lord. Anybody ever been there? And in this particular instance, this crowd had formed around Jesus. And, and we'll talk about it in a minute. But the very first characteristic I want to point out of a disciple, a true disciple, is an eagerness or a desire to hear from the Lord. How many of you want to hear from the Lord? Anybody? You wouldn't be here on a Sunday morning if you didn't want to hear from the Lord, right? The word of the Lord meant so much to these people in this, in this story that they were pressing in to hear and see whatever Jesus was doing. And they had, in this case, pushed other things from their day out of the way. They were even pushing other people out of the way. It was like a mob mentality. So much so that the Bible says they were pressing in to hear Jesus. And the reason why is because they were hungry for the word of God. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 says in the Beatitudes, right, blessed are they which do hunger... And thirst after righteousness. The Bible says, for they shall be filled. True disciples are hungry for the things of God, hungry and thirsty to hear from Jesus. Now, I want to start off this morning by clarifying this first point, this first characteristic. Just hearing from God doesn't automatically make you a disciple. Just want to let that sit for a second. How many know there's people in our word, word, world, sorry, they may once in a while step into church and hear the word of God. They may hear something on the radio, hear the word of God, but that doesn't make them or start them on that process of becoming a disciple. Your name doesn't get added to the potential list of candidates simply because you heard from the Lord, right? How many people know someone that has heard from the Lord, but they just, they heard it and they didn't do anything with it, right? They heard that word. Maybe they opened up their Bible and, and God was speaking to them, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Uh, I don't believe that. So they closed, closed the Bible, right? There's, there's some people that hear 
from the Lord, but they just continue going about their way. And so this characteristic of a disciple that I'm talking about is not simply just hearing from the Lord. The characteristic of a true disciple is an eagerness, a desire, a craving to hear from him, not just one time, not just when I'm sick and that's when I need to hear from God because I need to be healed, not just when I'm hurt or someone's hurt me, that's when I need to hear from God, not just when I'm having a tough time of things, hello, we don't just need to hear from God in the bad times, but a a true disciple hears from the Lord every day. They wake up in the morning saying, God, I need to hear from you as as I start my day because if I don't start my day on the right track, who knows what what can happen, right? A true disciple of the Lord throughout the day has to hear from God, both in the good times and the bad times. A real disciple simply cannot live without hearing the voice of God in their life. And I don't know about you, but I'm lost when I don't hear the word of the Lord. I'm lost without Jesus. When I can no longer hear from him, my life starts heading into places that I don't need it to go. I find myself doing things that I shouldn't do, acting ways that I shouldn't act. The truth is I need to hear the voice of the Lord. Now, I'm not going to sit here this morning or stand here as I'm doing and act like I'm perfect because I sure enough am not. My wife can testify and has the T-shirt to prove it. But the first characteristic I'm talking about this morning of a disciple is an eagerness or a desire to hear from the Lord. I've been eager as I go deeper into this point this morning. I, I'll admit, I've been eager many, 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 many times. There have been times in my life where no matter how hard I tried, no matter how much I desired to hear from God, I just couldn't hear him. Anybody? Anybody? Maybe you're there today. I don't know. You need to hear the voice of God, but you can't hear him. How many of you have ever asked God, why can't I hear from you in this moment, God? Where are you at? God, I'm searching on the right. David said, I looked right, left, front, center. I couldn't find the Lord, right? I can't even begin to count how many times I've had this thought or I've been in a conversation with somebody else and I've told them, you know, I'm praying about this. And I don't hear the voice of God. And, and, and hearing the voice of God and discerning his voice, I wish we had it like some of the characters in the Old Testament, right? I wish we had a burning bush that would speak to us. It would be so much easier, right, if, if God were to just speak out of a burning bush. If I woke up this morning and, and you know, some of my clothes were on fire and God was like, Trey, I, I wish... Because then I would get an immediate word from God. I wish it was that easy. But the truth is we live in a day and hour where there's so much information overload. Everywhere you turn, right, you're blasted with stuff. Just stuff. And it's exhausting everywhere you turn. And we live in an age where it doesn't matter from the youngest to the oldest. My daughter, she's in gymnastics and the other day at practice, she's, my daughter's six. There was a six-year-old. She had a phone. She's like, I got to call my mom. I, I got my phone. And everybody looked at her like, you six and you have a cell phone. It's so easy to get connected to social media, to, to whatever you want to call it. You can get on the Internet with a press of a button. 
This generation will never understand what it was like to hear that dial tone when you had to get on the internet. It takes time. It, it used to take time, but now you can get information at the snap of a finger. And I say this because there is advice on every topic, millions of opinions on this is what you should do, that is what you should do, a how-to video on anything you want to learn. And yet, all of us have a longing in our core to have a direct connection with the ultimate information source. That's really what they're searching for. That's really what they're trying to find. They're trying to hear the voice of God, and, and people have different ways of trying to do that. And we should, right? We should, as disciples of, of the Lord, we should, again, as I'm talking about this characteristic, we should have a desire to hear from God. But many of us, when we talk to God, we talk to God every day. Hopefully you are doing that. And this is what it looks like, though. We request something from the Lord. We ask questions to God. We bring our fears, right, to the Lord, adding to all these other voices that we hear from every day. And our prayers are full of us speaking, but even though we're speaking, we still fail to actually hear God speaking. And our prayer time ends when we've come to the end of our words. I'm going to let that sink in. When you pray, you feel like your prayer time ends because you don't have anything else left to say. But somebody, I want you to write this down this morning. When you hear from God, you have to be listening to God. In order to hear from God, you have to be listening to God. Now, I know that's a very, you know, duh, Brother Henderson, ah, that, that's easy to understand, right? But, but hear me out this morning. Oftentimes, as disciples, as Christians, whether you're new into this thing or if you've been in this thing for 50 years, we go through things, we go through seasons that leave us wondering if God hears our prayers. And it can be hard to distinguish his voice from the other voices around us. And then we start questioning if God is even listening to us when we pray. How many of you have prayed for the same thing a hundred times? God, did you hear me the first time? I'll be honest, I used to pray prayers, God, I'm going to flip this coin. If it's heads, then this is what I know you want me to do. If it's tails, then hello, anybody ever been there? Maybe it wasn't heads or tails, but God, if you let me go throughout this day, Lord, and and if I come across someone, then I know you're speaking. Sometimes we do, we do simple things like that. And sometimes God answers, right? But hearing from God, right, hearing from the Lord requires us to be listening. Listening means we're actively making our quiet time with the Lord more of a dialogue instead of a monologue. You know, I know, and most of us in here, we know what it's like to understand and, and know in our core that, yes, the Lord exists. When I wake up in the morning, the sun still rises in the east and sets in the west because that's the way God said it would, would happen. I understand. I know God is real. I know how my walk with God should be like, but sometimes... We doubt our connection to God because we just can't hear him. God, I can see that you're doing things. 
I can see you working in my brother's life over here, but why can't I hear you in my own life? I know what it means to feel like God can be ignoring you, but I want to let someone know this morning that is not true at all. God is not ignoring you. He hears every request from the smallest to the greatest. But I also want to let you know this. God is trying to speak with us on a constant basis. More than you and I want to hear from God, God wants to speak to us. We just have to expect, I want to challenge someone's thinking, we have to expect to hear the voice of God at all times. You got to expect it. As I was preparing for this, I came across this article. Somebody said this, the voice of God is similar to when you get in the car and your favorite radio station is playing. And you immediately, when you, when you turn on the car, right, and that radio station starts to play, the reason why is because that radio station has been programmed already to play. You don't have to worry about hunting down that station because it was already programmed in. And this is what it's like when we hear God speak to us, when we are tuned into his frequency, and if we have programmed his voice into, you know, our own spiritual situation like that car, right? If, we're, if this temple, if this body has been programmed to hear the voice of God, then whenever God wants to communicate to us, we should be ready to hear from him. Hearing the voice of God However, hearing the voice of God implies two different actions to happen. The first of those is that God has to be speaking. And we serve a living God who is always speaking to us through creation, through his word, through the Holy Ghost. Hearing his voice requires first that he is speaking to us. And the second part of that is that we have to be listening. Jeremiah 33 and 3 says, call unto me and I will answer thee. And show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. So many times we believe God is not speaking because we have yet to hear his answer. But this scripture tells us just the opposite. It's a promise from the Lord. He's saying that when you ask him, he will answer. He will answer when you ask him questions. The problem is a lot of times the answer that we hear isn't what we want to hear. Hello, somebody. It may not be the answer that you want to hear. It may not be in the form that you were expecting either. But if you just tune in to the right frequency, he will answer when you ask. John 8 and 47 says, he that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore, you, as John is saying, you therefore hear them not because you are not of God. Some strong language right there. The New Living Translation says, anyone who belongs to God, same verse, anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. But if you don't listen, it's because you don't belong to God. When I read that, I was like, ouch, that's some, that's some hard language. That first verse is hard to hear, but it's the truth. Knowing truth is the first step to us making changes. If we want to hear the voice of God, we have to be listening. And that could be figuratively, right? But it really means your heart has to be right. 
Your heart has to be right to listen. Like, are you listening? Here's a, here's a trick question, okay? Here's a trick question. Are you actually listening to the things that God has already told you an answer for in the word of God? Trick question. Luke 11 and verse 28. But he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Are you keeping the Lord's commandments that we read about in the word of God? Right? If we love him, a lot of the things we ask for, he's already gave us an answer for. But have you taken the step towards whatever you're praying about, freedom and, and healing, that he's already given us answers for in this book? Or are you simply praying to lay your burden down just to pick it back up after you've done talking to the Lord? It is vitally important that we first seek the voice of God, and then that we hear after we've seeking, all of us are seeking, all of us want a word from the Lord, but when God is trying to give us that word, are we listening or are we? Right? God is our creator, and it's key to our existence and success to want to make it that we have to be listening. Right? He is constantly speaking to us and guiding us in the way that we should go. If we only listen to him, hearing his voice requires us to tune into him and to his word. It requires us to press in, just like this crowd was doing in this story. Press in to what he's saying. We can't, however, distinguish his voice if we're, if we're not careful. Sometimes his voice will sound like all the other voices in this world. So it means we have to intentionally be trying to listen. And the truth is God speaks to us in many, many different ways. His voice can be super loud or it can be as quiet as a whisper. He can speak to us in the morning or he can speak to us during the chaos of our day. Before you go to sleep, God could be speaking. Knowing the ways that he can be speaking to us or communicating to us can help us to better discern his voice. And most of this isn't news to anyone, but God speaks to us through his word. If you need an answer to a prayer, you don't need a burning bush to tell you. Find it in this book, and it won't let you down. Another way is he can speak to you through the Holy Ghost. He can speak to you through trusted counsel. Sometimes God speaks to you in a dream. How many of you ever dreamed something, and you're like, God, you're trying to tell me something? I don't need to, to do that. I don't need to go there because the outcome isn't what, it's, what, what God has for me in his will. So, so sometimes we get dreams about things that are going to take place. And that's God speaking. And lastly, I hope it happens to you. It hasn't happened to me yet, but I wish God would speak to me audibly. Some people, that happens. An angel from the Lord comes and says, here's what the word says, right? But the truth is God is always talking. The big thing to do is work on distinguishing his voice from others around you. One of the ways to distinguish the voice of God from the voices around you is to be diligent about the times when you do talk to God. Set aside a moment. Don't just haphazardly throw it in when everything else is going on. Set aside some time. Set some boundaries around when you're communicating with God. 
That way you'll make sure that you tune in. I think the best way to write this first characteristic is that the first characteristic of a disciple is an eagerness or desire to listen to the Lord. And that sounds so much different than the first way I put it, to just hear from the Lord. If you have a desire to listen to the Lord, you won't ever get let down because you've made up your mind to hear whatever he's going to say and not let anything else get in the way. Because the truth is, there's a difference between hearing somebody and listening to somebody. Wives, don't look at your husband. There's a difference between, did you hear what I said? Or are you listening? My wife's over there, amen, and in her spirit. Going back to our story in Luke, this crowd of people wanted to hear the word of the Lord so bad as their spiritual hunger begins to push Jesus, literally. They're pushing him from where he's standing. The crowd is kind of mobbing him. They're pushing him towards the water where Jesus kind of is starting to get in danger. But Jesus obviously finds a solution. Rather than let the mob push him into the water, he rose above the water. Using the most advanced sound system of the time, Jesus speaks to this crowd from a boat. That this crowd is on, you know, the slope bank of a lake. You can kind of get the picture in your mind, right? If he's speaking from this boat to this crowd, then here we find Simon, Simon Peter, as he would later be known as Peter. Peter's the very first sound man in this situation, and he has the responsibility, right? He, it's his boat. He keeps his boat at the right distance so that everybody can hear what Jesus is saying. And saying that a person should press in to the word of God, I just want to say it may not stir the right motivation. Reading the Bible out of a, a sense of guilt or a sense of duty, it doesn't compare to when we just have a desire for the spiritual things of God, when we have a desire to love the word of God, there's a difference. Because no one told these people that they had to come to hear Jesus. No one told them, hey, you need to go down there where Jesus is. No, they wanted to be where Jesus was. So much so that they pushed people out of the way so that they could hear what Jesus had to say. And if you're struggling with the desire to hear from the Lord this morning, whether it's in prayer and in the word, hearing the word that's preached from the pulpit, then I challenge you, go back to that wonder of where the word comes from who the word is. Where's that wonder of who Jesus is? Because that's what drew these people to hear from God. Jesus didn't come speaking random facts or regurgitated information. His message, just like it does today, it brought transformation. How many have been transformed by the word of God, right? Your life is not the same. After you've heard from the Lord, you listen to him, you realize that his word was life changing. It is life changing. And even in this story, it's not enough for Jesus to just be speaking. He came to speak and he had power for the real needs of the people around him. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 4, it says immediately, after Jesus had finished speaking, what does he start doing? He starts going to work. When the word of God speaks to our life, if we really let it do its deal, 
it's going to immediately start putting in work in our life. And Jesus says to Simon, hey, go out into the deep. Let down your net for a draw. He moved directly from speaking to addressing a failure in Peter's life. Peter, at, at this point in time, he wasn't able to catch these fish on his night shift. And the Lord's solution was to send Peter right back out into the field to fish. And Peter, you can imagine, right? Peter's like, look, Lord, look, Jesus, I tried this before. I, 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 I know what to do. I've been, I've been a fisherman for a while now. This is not the time where there's fish. All right, this is not the moment where I should be letting my net down, right? Peter explained how fruitless his efforts to catch fish had been. But then check it out here. Something in him changes in his response. When Jesus asked him to cash his nets again, Peter agrees, even though he felt like it would be a little ridiculous to try it at this time, right? However, and as we're going to get to my next point this morning, he did as he was instructed. And Peter gasped in surprise at what happens. The elusive fish that he couldn't catch, suddenly they show up in massive numbers. And that leads me again, I'm going to just give you for the sake of time this morning a two-for-one special, my second and third characteristics here. The second characteristic of a disciple is obedience. Obedience to the voice of God. And the third characteristic is very closely related to the second, and that is a true disciple submits to spiritual authority. If you're going to be a disciple of the Lord, you got to submit to his authority. Obedience. Many of us don't like obedience. I get this visual in my mind when someone tells me to obey, I'm in a WWE ring. And we got to duke it out because one of us is going to win this, right? When I have to obey, when I have to submit, my flesh rises up because I don't like it. I don't like when someone else tells me what to do. Do you? But we need it because we don't know everything. You got children. They disobey. They think they know everything. You don't know. That stove is hot. Don't touch it. Obey. I'm trying to help you. A lot of times we don't think the Lord has our best interest in heart when he tells us something out of his word. You tell me to do what? Uh-uh. But you don't know that, that word that the first character, listening, is what's going to keep us. It's not going to push us away. It's what's going to help us, right? Eight reasons why obedience to God is important. One is Jesus calls us to obey, point blank. He tells us in his word to obey. Second, obedience is an act of worship. When you obey, worship. Worship isn't just hand clapping and, and getting down with it. No, worship sometimes is a sacrifice. A lot of times it's a sacrifice, but that is still worship. Thirdly, God rewards obedience, right? God rewards obedience. We read it earlier in Luke eleven twenty eight. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and do it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and put it in practice. That's what the New Living Translation says, Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. 
The next thing, obedience to God proves our love to the Lord. 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and, two and 3, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Obeying God proves that we love God. The next obedience to God demonstrates our faith in God. You trust God. Even if you can't see the outcome, obeying God shows that we trust that his way is better than my way. And again, they're very, very closely tied to submission, as I'm going to talk about in a second. But I said that obedience is, is, is a form of worship. But another point is obedience is better than sacrifice. I'll let that sink in for a second. The phrase that obedience is better than sacrifice has often perplexed believers of God. It can only be understood from when you read it in the Old Testament. The law required that the Israelite people had to, right, they had to offer sacrifices to God. But those sacrifices and those offerings were never intended to take the place of obedience. 1 Samuel Chapter 15 and verse 22, again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, says, But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, or when you obey his voice? Listen, he says, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than the offering, the fat of rams. Rebellion is a sin. When you disobey God, that is a sin. And stubbornness can be just as bad as you worshiping something else, because what you really is worshiping yourself. When you're stubborn and you don't want to obey God, you're really lifting yourself up above God. Disobedience leads to sin and death. And my last point about obedience this morning is that through obedience, we experience the blessings of holy living. How many have seen your life change because you've obeyed what's in this book? And people around us don't understand. Something's different about you. It's not really anything different about me. I'm just obeying what the word of God says. It's no special sauce that I'm cooking up in my kitchen, right? I didn't magically figure everything out. No, the reason why I am blessed ain't nothing to do with me. It's all to do with him. And it's all to do with me obeying what is in this word. You can have the same blessings that I have if you would just obey, right, what is in the word. Amen. So let's talk about the third characteristic, submission. First Peter chapter 5 verse 6 says, humble yourselves, Therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. How many of you want to be lifted up? I do. I want the best that God has for me. But it seems counterintuitive that you have to lower yourself in order to be elevated. Don't that seem weird? Just don't make sense. I'm a, you, know, you guys know I like math. I don't get decrease makes me increase. Something about it doesn't doesn't just jive with me, but that's what the word says. 
And let's be real. Submission can be hard. It's very hard. Honestly, it can be quite challenging to do this willingly. It's one thing if you're like forced into submission, right? You get in that handhold where someone's wrestling with you. Jacob wrestled with an angel, right? I'm pretty sure he put him in a headlock and he's just, he's just having to submit because he don't have another choice, right? But it's another thing to just willingly submit, especially in the world where people break your trust on a constant basis. If you've ever been hurt, someone's, someone's ever, you know, broken your trust, it's hard to submit and willingly do it all over again. This trust is something that won't be the same if it's damaged. And as believers, as Christians, we're called to hand over our lives and submit to his ways for his sake, to trust him completely. But what does that mean? What does that look like? First of all, submitting to God means we have to humble ourselves. Humility is always a good trait to have. However, in this part, in this particular process of submission, it's probably the most important thing. Along with humbleness, it means that it ain't all about you. It's not all about you. Sometimes I got to tell myself that. My wife tells me that too. It's all right, though. That's why God brought her in my life. It's not all about me. It's not all about me. Somebody say that. It's not all about me. It isn't. Right? Selfishness is not a good trait to have in the kingdom of God. It's necessary, right, to have selflessness, not selfishness. It's necessary to understand that the reason why you're here isn't for your glory, but God's glory. Therefore, who are we to say that we have the authority to determine what what we should do with our own life? That's a weird question to ask, but... If you're a disciple of the Lord, if you consider yourself a disciple of the Lord, you've placed your life in his hands. So the moment you take it out of his hands is when you start to say, I know better than you do, Lord. And, hey, that's where we get in a lot of trouble as it is. Continuing on, submission to God means saying no for his purposes. Saying no to things. Letting go of our desires can be very difficult. It's not easy. Submission makes us vulnerable. How many like to be vulnerable? No. None of us do. But David said a broken spirit, a a contrite heart, right? That's what God does not despise, I believe is what it says. God's looking for vulnerability. That's so weird. He's looking for vulnerability. He's looking for people to say, God, I don't, I don't have it all together. God, I, I, I don't know if, if I'm supposed to make this decision or that decision. God, I, I need you. You know, submission means we're 100% relying upon God. And as I was reading up on Simon Peter in this case, because he's in this story, I came across this. I consider submission to God a discipline of abstinence because it's about denying ourselves the power or privilege that we want. We're choosing not to make things happen for ourselves, not to control people 
or situations, even if we can, but instead to come under the Lord's authority, wisdom, and power. And oftentimes, this means submitting to other people as unto the Lord. You know the reason why we as a church submit to our pastor? It's because we're submitting ourselves unto the Lord. And because he's the shepherd of this church, we're trusting that whatever God has given him, right, it's that umbrella effect, we'll be blessed as our pastor is blessed, and, and so on and so forth, right? And so it's funny as we look at this story, it makes sense that Peter, right, shows us how to submit to God. And if you look at Peter's history in the Bible, you figure out from this very first instance when he's on the boat, you figure out Peter continually had to learn this lesson about submission. He was the hard-headed disciple, if I could put it that way. He was, he was like me. I'm hard-headed, right? He had to learn submission over and over and over throughout his process with Jesus, through pain and through failure. In his early years of following Jesus, he often put his foot in his mouth. Or he often tried to get over top of someone else in order to improve his position. He had his own agenda for things. And it took Peter a few years to grow in grace to the point that he could happily deny himself the self-assertion that seemingly had made him a successful fisherman. And instead choosing to come under the leadership of others, particularly Jesus Christ. Peter learned well Jesus' humble way of the cross. He learned to step down into greatness, not step up. We see his humble love for the Lord worked out in Acts. If you read the book of Acts, he continues to submit himself under the leadership of that particular church in Jerusalem. And tradition tells us that Peter eventually would be crucified as a martyr insisting that he be crucified upside down because he didn't deserve to die the same way that Jesus did. Humility, submission. Here we have in the story of Luke, an expert fisherman. Peter and Simon knew what to do. He knew when the right time to fish was and when the right time not to fish was. And you got to imagine as Jesus tells him to throw his net, right? In this moment when all the fish come up, he's embarrassed. He's amazed. Jesus had shown himself more powerful than Peter or than Simon in Simon's own field. How many have ever been showed up in your own field of knowledge? Here we have Jesus saying, ha, ha, I know. I know what I'm talking about. You just obey me and, and watch what, what I do, right? And throughout the pandemonium of what's going on, Peter realizes that he's unworthy of the person who is in front of him. And it's crazy. He tells Jesus, get off my boat. <laughs> if you look at the story, he says, depart from me. Ain't that something? Would you ever tell God, get away from me? It's weird. But I imagine Jesus, you know, Jesus doesn't, doesn't take offense to, to Simon's word. He's probably smiling. Like, yeah, I caught you. You thought you knew it all, but here we go. And so... The important part of the story, though, as we look at submission, Peter got one thing right in this story. He ends up calling Jesus Lord. He ends up calling him master, if I could put it another way. I'm not worthy of, of being in your presence, 
Lord is how he addresses Jesus. And it only looked like in this particular time, if you're, if you're standing on the shore like the crowd and these fish are being brought up, it looks like the boat, the, the nets, they're breaking. All this is happening, it looks like chaos. But instead, what's really taking place as we talk about characteristics of a disciple is that Jesus was preparing Peter for a new trade, and that would be to become a fisher of men. Because in this story, Simon Peter is not the only one who was overwhelmed in this moment. He's not the only boat. There was another boat as well. Andrew, James, John, they're business partners with Simon Peter. And to them and to us today, right, in Luke 5 and 10, Jesus tells them, don't be afraid. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And the final characteristic that I want to talk about this morning as we close, as we bring it to a close, is that a real disciple of the Lord forsakes all things. Forsakes all things. Not only did Simon when they came back to land, forsake everything. But it says James, John, and Andrew, his business partners, show us how to do discipleship correctly. They forsook everything. They left it all on the beach. They walked away from an income that landed them above most everybody else at that time. They, they made good money. They left behind a social identity and established business reputation and really a, a stable financial future. They had a good job. They, they could call their own shots. But they left it all to pursue the Lord's call. And today Jesus is calling all disciples to do the same thing. Forsake it all and follow him. One of the best stories, one of my favorite stories in the Bible um, is found in Mark chapter 10. And it records the story of the rich young ruler. Everybody know that story? You've read that story before. And this is one that I've come to learn many, many valuable lessons from. But in Mark chapter 10, in verse 21, as it comes to the end of the story, it says, Then Jesus, beholding this young, young ruler, loved him. And he says to him, There's one thing you're lacking. Go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross and follow me. And verse 22 says, and he, the rich young ruler, was sad at what Jesus told him. And he went away, for he had, the Bible says, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. In this particular story, the young ruler comes to Jesus. And he's genuine. He's eager to follow after whatever Jesus was going to command. He was just like that crowd that was on the, on the riverbank. And actually, if you look into the story, he actually interrupts Jesus as Jesus is, is walking. He comes in. He just pushes in. Have you ever had someone interrupt your conversation? This is kind of like what, what this young man did. He interrupted Jesus while he was busy. He interrupts him because he really, really, really wanted to hear whatever Jesus had to speak into his life. And so... If I had to put it into ways we could understand in, in accordance with today's lesson, he had some measure of these first three characteristics we talked about. He was eager and hungry to hear from Jesus. And up until this particular point, he had obeyed the word. He was a young ruler. 
He grew up learning what the Bible had to say. He followed after what, you know, the teachings of Moses, the law. He, he followed all of that. And he was submissive to become a ruler in that day and a young one at that. He had to have impressed those above him. He had to be submitted to the leadership above him. The Bible tells us he was young, which is not a characteristic that many of those leaders had at that time. So he was under submission. Up until this point, he had everything going for them. The first three characteristics, he nailed them. And then Jesus asked him to forsake everything and follow him. And the young ruler is unwilling to part with his wealth. And that challenges me because his treasure in this time was on earth. And that treasure had a stronger tug on his heart than Jesus did. And stand with me this morning as I, as I come to a close. And the truth is, Jesus' words in this story don't upset just the rich young ruler. They also upset us. They upset me. And you may be thinking, you know, that doesn't apply to me. But ask yourself, would God ask you to walk away from family? Would God ask you to deny your own children? Would God ask you to do away with relationships or a job or the car you need to drive or the house that you live in? You want me to give all my money away, Lord. Has God ever asked you to, to give, right? What do you, when you think about it, Better yet, the possibility that God could ask that of us. I'll be honest, it, unner it unnerves me. God were to tell me to get, get rid of that new car that my wife just bought for me. Thank you, thank you, baby. It would unnerve me. If God asked me to give away the house that I live in, it would unnerve me. If God asked me to give every dollar in my bank account, I don't know about you, you would second guess, wouldn't you? To be homeless, to be poor, to go into poverty, all because God asked you to do it. it. That unnerves me. And if it doesn't unnerve you, power to you. But that's a scary thought. But God was asking this young ruler not to just part with his riches and possessions, but his influence, the power he had, the other wealthy associates that he hung with. God was asking him to do away with that. His position in society. How many like having a good reputation? God asked you to tarnish that reputation for his sake. Would you do it? That's what God was asking this young ruler to do. His reputation would have been tarnished had he gave away everything that he had. And you would think like I would. If God asked us to do that, the world would just fall into chaos. It's already chaotic as it is. But my world would be chaotic if I got rid of all these things in my life. And obviously, right, I'm thankful that God is not asking us to do that. If he's asking you, I pray you do obey. But a lot of us, he hasn't really asked that of us. But here's my point this morning. Why would we be even worried if he did ask us? Why would we be apprehensive if he did ask us to get rid of those things? And don't lie about it because you would feel like I do. The truth is, do we feel possessive of what we have? Do we fear that Jesus may require us to do something that would cost us too much? I'll let that sink in. What are we afraid of letting go of? 
And why do we fear if God would ever ask that of us? And we say, take the whole world, but give me Jesus. Do we mean that? Because a true disciple forsakes all things. If you look at every story of Jesus telling his disciples to follow them, every one of them had to give up something to follow after Jesus. And I don't know what God is asking you to give up. Clearly, there are some things that if they don't align with the word, that's an automatic. You got to give up. But there are some convictions he gives you and gives me that are different. And if he's asking you to forsake those things, trust that there's a reason and that it is for your good. Amen. And I'm running out of time and I've got like a whole bunch of notes left. But as I conclude this morning, I would like to say real quickly some characteristics that are not part of a true disciple. And the one thing that I would say, one of the stories I was going to talk about this morning was when Jesus calls Matthew, who was, the Bible says in Luke chapter 5, we see his name as Levi, but we would know him as Matthew. Um, Levi was a tax collector. Nobody likes tax collectors, right? The IRS. Um, This was who Matthew was. And... The important part about the story is we find Jesus, just like we find him with Simon Peter, they're all washing their nets. They're all doing their duty. And one thing a characteristic of a disciple is not is that there is no such thing as a lazy disciple. Every person Jesus called to him was doing a work. They were working somewhere. They were already busy doing whatever vocation they had. God didn't just pull someone off the street and say, come be my disciple, and they were lazy. That, that just doesn't match up with every instance I see in the word of God. And then the last characteristic I was going to talk about was that God is not a respecter of persons. Anybody thankful of that? Anybody glad that he is not a respecter of persons? And maybe you don't know what that term means. But real quickly as I close, that just means everybody in here has the ability to be a disciple. Doesn't matter if you're black, white, Hispanic, brown, yellow, any color under the rainbow. You have an opportunity to be a disciple, rich, poor, having a job, having no job. All the characteristics I list today have nothing to do with your stance in society because a disciple can be anyone. They just have to be willing to first listen to God and obey God and submit to God. And if he's asking you to forsake something, forsake it for the Lord. Amen. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. Dot com. So I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus.